Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with this thought on the consequences of living a life apart from God. God continues to proclaim mercy and grace, and once people ignore and reject the message of repentance, they cross a line we do not know where, but once it's crossed, God in all His love can do nothing about it but bring judgment. Some people cross it at death. Other people have greater opportunity, and maybe their opportunity line crosses before death. We just don't know where that line is, right? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Buying stuff on credit may seem like a good thing. Well, that is until the bill comes due. So today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Deuteronomy as he brings to light the consequences of living a life that's contrary to God's intended plan for us. Let's jump right into today's study. Deuteronomy chapter 7 Verses 1 through 11, I've entitled the message, Instruments of Judgment. Moses has been telling the children of Israel how they are going to possess the land, how they are to remember their past rebellion, how they are to have courage and not be afraid of those in the land, lest they repeat the very same mistake that their fathers did. Isn't it interesting that no matter how much experience we have, we can always blow it, no matter of our past successes? There's always that caution. There's always that warning that we have to be careful of. But now, Moses proclaims to them how they are to be God's instrument of judgment. And it reveals three things. Never in their mind would they think that they were going to be God's instrument of judgment, but that's exactly what God had in store. First, we have the proclamation of judgment in verses 1 through 3, as well as verse 5. Then we have the reason why they were to obey the proclamation of judgment in verses 4 and 6. And then thirdly, the reason why God chose them for His judgment, which is found in verses 7. Through 11. Let me read the passage for you. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenants with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to your their sons or their daughters to your sons for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods so the anger of the Lord will be aroused uh, against you and destroy you suddenly but thus you shall deal with them you shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the bondage of the house of Egypt, or the house of Pharaoh of Egypt. Therefore, 
Know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him to keep His commandments. And He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you should keep the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which I command you today to observe them. Notice Moses here proclaims that God would use them as his instrument of judgment for those in the land. And the first thing we see in verses 1 through 3, as well as 5, is the proclamation of judgment. In verse 1, we have the seven nations to be judged. God enumerates them. Now, we have in Genesis 10, here we have seven. We don't know if the other three were absolved already, absorbed into other cultures or destroyed. But here we have seven that are mentioned, and it's confirmed in the book of Joshua. These nations were not fictitious people. Often uh, people uh, say, well, you know, a lot of the people that are talked about in the Bible, they didn't even exist. Well, they've said that about many of them, and then God gets some archaeologists, go out there with a fine comb and dig up a civilization, and they realize that, oh, I guess that they, they did exist. Notice also in verse 2 and 3 the conditions of their judgment. First, they would be delivered over to them by God. That's very important. God is constantly telling them that they don't have to worry about the wall cities and the giants, right? Because God says, you know, I'm going to deliver them to you. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, he finished by saying these seven nations were greater and mightier than you. Not to discourage them, but to remind them that it was God who was going to do it. See, it's so easy for us to get puffed up. We get a little victory here and there, and we say, well, yeah, I did pretty good. You know, I mean, God helped me along, but I mean, I did good. And we, we forget that we can't do anything apart from God. And so I, I believe that's why God doesn't give us too many victories straight in a row, you know what I mean? I mean, we, He can't handle us. We can't even handle ourselves. Moses already exhorted them not to fear. We've read that over and over again. What's the implication? They are afraid. <laughs> God ever tell you don't fear? <laughs> it's not because you're not afraid, it's because you are afraid. Moses had already told them that it would be God who would fight for them. Isn't that what the Lord tells us? Put on the whole armor of God and be filled with the power of his might and we go out in faith and he's the one that takes the victory. But notice also they were to conquer them and utterly destroy them there in verse 2. And the reference, you shall conquer them, was to trust in God again. Every obstacle that comes into our life, you know, it's neat to have the past, as I said, but every day has a new challenge, does it not? Every day has something, oh man, Lord, I got to trust you. It never finishes. It never ends. It's always an ongoing dependency on God. And then the reference, you shall already destroy them, was due to the time given to the people of the land to repent. They had crossed that line. Now, you know, we read in Genesis 15, 16 that God promised Abraham that he could not give him the land to the people. So he would put him in Egypt for 430 years. But when the abomination of the Amorites was fully come, then he would give him the land. In other words, there was a time, there was a place there was a medium by which he proclaimed and warned, we don't know how, we don't know who, we don't know when, we don't know where, but God proclaimed to the people of the land that they had X amount of time to repent, and they didn't repent. Once they crossed that line, the only thing that could fall was judgment. Now, that happens all the time today. We just don't know where that line is, right? Some people cross it at death. They're done. They're lost. Other people have greater opportunity and maybe their opportunity line crosses before death. But I, that's not for me to figure out. 
That's God's department. But God continues to proclaim mercy and grace. And once people ignore and reject the message of repentance, they cross a line we do not know where, but once it's crossed, God in all his love can do nothing about it but bring judgment. This is what he's talking about here. The inhabitants of the land were so vile and depraved that they would contaminate the people of God. So he says, you utterly destroy them. Now, that doesn't sound very compassionate and very merciful, and that doesn't sound like the God of love. That's why I think the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, people say. No, 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 he's a God of love. If you've got a dog that's foaming at the mouth and you know he's, uh, he's got rabies, but he's just a cute little six-month puppy, and your child says, oh, come on, Daddy, let me play with him. And you love your child. Would you say, well, I do love him, and you know, he is asking, so I better let him play with him. No. You'd kill that dog, right? Because whoever he bites, they're going to die. This is how vile the people were of the land. As I look to our nation, I shudder to think how vile we have become. Anything and everything you look at and see, it's to contaminate you in every way. Notice they were to make no covenants with them or show mercy to them in verse 2 also. See, the covenant meant a truce and alliance. And if entered into, they would become a snare to them. He already tells us that in verse 16 of chapter 7. A snare. And the word there, snare, is like, like the net of the fowler. In other words, a bird to catch him in a trap with a net. You see, when we don't obey God and we make covenants with, with people that we're not supposed to and with lifestyle we're not supposed to, they become a snare to it, become trapped, become to our own hurt. We think we're in control and all of a sudden we're trapped. We think we've got a handle on it and all of a sudden we're broken. The manifestation of mercy by men when God has prohibited mercy is to declare that man is more merciful than God. You notice the tendency here? How sad it is that when God is dealing with one of you and I come along and I just get in God's way and I try to be so merciful to you, so gracious to you, out of the way, and I try to help you because I haven't prayed because I just think I'm the Messiah, you know? And God says, get out of the way, dummy. I'm working. I've put them in this corner because they're not dependent on me. You leave them alone. Oh, I wonder how often we as Christians get in God's way because we want to be so loving and merciful. And we're saying, oh, if, you know, almost like Absalom, oh, if I were king, all the case would be heard. And he stole the hearts of Israel. And sometimes we steal the hearts of people away from God because we think we're more merciful than God. Oh, may we pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this scenario? What should I do? Are you dealing with this person? Let me stay out. What is it? Notice, fourthly, that they were not to make marriages with them. In verse 3 there. Their daughters were not to be given to their sons, and they were not to take the daughters of the land also for their sons. They were not to become one with the most holy institution with unbelievers. Do you realize how intimate and how holy marriage is? You will never encounter anything else in life like marriage. And yet how we prepare to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be whatever it is, we put them all this time. We're going to be a baseball player. Man, we're out there. We're diligent. We're going to spend all of our life married, a good 80% of our life married, and we don't do anything to prepare for it. 
It'd be like wanting to have a beautiful garden and just doing nothing and just expecting the weeds to turn into roses. You and I are a big weed. And if we don't pluck it out and cultivate it and trim it and wash it and put the word of God and everything else, we'll never be a rose. We're bad news. You see, they were not to break down the nucleus of society by compromising it. Marriage is the nucleus to a healthy society. Strong marriages, marriages that are committed, marriages who know right from wrong. And that's why our society is so messed up. The warning is through Exodus 34, remember Ezra, Nehemiah, they were a constant problem with Israel, always unequally yoked, always wanting. Remember Samson? There's a woman down there and, you know, get her for me. She pleases me. Notice thirdly in verse 5 there, the desecration of the religious objects is declared. You see, their altars were to be destroyed. Their altars represent the place of offering and sacrifice and worship of the gods of the land. Some of you have traveled, you've gone to other countries, Mexico, Central America, South America, you know, the idolatry that's there, the altars that are built, the shrines that are built. Man is paganistic. Romans chapter 1 tells us, uh, Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, that, that there is a God. Romans 1 says by creation, man is without excuse, but man turns it around, starts worshiping the creature, rather than the creator which is blessed forevermore. And so he makes little gods of his own doing. You know, we have eyes, so we put eyes on the little sucker, and we have hands, so we put hands on him, and then we call it God. And then an earthquake comes, and he falls off the shell and breaks his neck, and I've got to glue him back with crazy glue. <laughs> well, I'm greater than my God. He should pray to me. The psalmist says, has eyes, can't see, have hands, can't handle. They're nothing but stone and wood. What a deception. The altars were in opposition to the true sacrifice and worship of God. Then he says their sacred pillars were to be broken down. The pillars represented their deities. The pillars were idols of stone. Now I come out of a Catholic background, so I know about idols. I know about idolatry. I've been down in Mexico, Central America, South America, the Philippines, where it's just heavy. And it's such a deception. He speaks about their wooden images. They were to be cut down and burned with fire. See, the wooden images were Canaanite deities, Asherim. The wooden images were the worship of the fertility deities, and they were worshiped with sexual rites. Remember the women of Moab that came down to the camp and ensnared Israel by the council of Balaam? And you look at TV, you look at everything. Everything is sold by sex. Have you ever seen some of those stupid commercials? There's not even any relationship between the product and what they're putting out. But they, they're, the boys at Madison Avenue know they're pretty smart. They know sex sells anything. They don't care what it is. And they do their homework. One individual put it this way about God's judgment. I used to think I, if I could see the lost in hell, surely... I must weep for them. But there is no such sentiment as that known in heaven. The believer there shall be satisfied with all of God's will. Even their loss has been their own fault. 
If my parents could see me in hell, they would not have a tear to shed for me, though they were in heaven, for they would say, it is just the great God. Have you ever thought about that? See, when we think about people being lost in heaven, we think about with our mind here, our emotions, and what we are. But when we're in heaven, we're just like Jesus Christ. And remember when God's judgment was poured out on the great tribulation? What do the people in heaven say? The elders like, Lord, right on. It is just. They deserve it. Whew. Heavy. Interesting. God's judgment is not unfair. God's judgment is sure. God's judgment is perfect. No one will ever get shortchanged. You know, there's a lot of people who say, well, when I get there, I got a few things for God. Yeah, you got a few things for God, all right. I'll tell you what. Uh, there will be one, one non-believer who will open his mouth when he's before God. That will be the first time they will have their mouth shut completely. And believers, we won't say anything. When we receive the reward that we've got coming, no matter how little it is, if not if any at all, we will not say, but, but, we just walk away. Nobody will open their mouth on Judgment Day, Christian or non-Christian. God has proclaimed and brought forth judgment on many nations apart from these seven nations. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. This is the, on the prophetic calendar. Way before they were even nations. And remember that God used them to judge the other one and then God turned around and had them judged. How interesting. Spain, Germany, Russia, England, as they have been not the best towards Israel. Take a survey of all the nations who have persecuted the Jews and let's see what has happened to them. That's why it is so important the United States keep a good posture towards Israel. Genesis 12, those that bless you, I will bless them. Those that curse you, I will curse them. Now the United States of America in our lifetime has been diminishing greatly. And I believe it's directly under God's judgment. I don't think it's any coincidence. Do we think that God judged past nations, but he's going to wink at the United States? I doubt it. The conquering and utter destruction of a race or cities or nations for their evil is not uncommon in Scripture. That's God's direct judgment. The world, the world of Noah, 120 years he gave them to repent, and then he destroyed them. Tower of Babel was destroyed by God. Confusion. And the people were scattered. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed at the inquiry of angels. And God himself came down for the vileness. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed multitudes of times because of her lack of obedience to God over and over again. Now, on a spiritual sense, the believer is to conquer and utterly destroy all the areas of the flesh by his new nature and the power of the Spirit of God. Remember the phrase, nations greater than, than you? Well, we are, we're not able to handle our sinful nature. In all those areas, whether it be alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it is. But when we become Christians now, we can conquer those areas that were greater than us. 
by God's grace. We no longer have to say, well, I go to AA, well, I go to the therapy, and I go to this 12-step program. No, no, I'm a new creature, and God has made me new, and I have put on the armor of God, put on the new mind, put on the new heart, and I go to warfare. And I conquer through the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God. Never before could we do that. Now we can. We were like that demoniac going crazy and cutting ourselves and scaring people. Now here we are, clothed and sane. And people kind of freak out what happened to them. I've had parents tell me, I mean, I've heard them, you know. They say, you know, what's with my child? I mean, before they used to be in drugs, at least I understood where they were. Now they're a Jesus freak. I don't understand them. I wish they were the way they were before. I've had parents say that. I had a mother get so mad at me because I, years ago, counseled her daughter that she should remain a virgin. Her mom was counseling her to go out there and just experience and, and everything else so she can be prepared for life. How interesting. And this is 20 years ago, so, I mean, you know, it was real radical, even though things were breaking apart then still. It's interesting. The unequally yoked unions are always a compromise and unfulfilled as God intended in the relationship of marriage. And what usually happens is the principle of sowing and reaping. We are told very clear in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 that we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Light and darkness don't have the same thing. He tells us to come out from among them and we will be his sons and daughters and he will be our God. I tell you, when it comes to the area of boyfriend and girlfriend, young people, you better not go with a non-believer because they have different values. And they're going to pressure you one way or another. And you know what? There's just enough darkness in you still that when you go around darkness, darkness will win. Have you ever found that out? See, don't think you're something hot. Don't think you can walk in anywhere you want. Remember, Daniel survived the lion's den because God put him there. If God doesn't put you in the lion's den, you're dead. The lion will eat you alive. So you better make sure that God puts you in the lion's den. Then he will sit and shut the lion's mouth. But you go out there and mess around with a boyfriend or girlfriend who doesn't know the Lord, and let me tell you, sooner or later, you're going to compromise. You're going to get into drugs, you're going to get into sex, you're going to get into drinking, whatever it is. Or just be plain good moral and just walk away from God and, you know, spend more time with them than with God. I've seen it over and over again in fellowship. Be careful. You have nothing in common. Marriage relationships. People get married with non-believers, thinking that God's going to save them later. What a surprise. They're in for a life of misery. Five years, ten years of misery, sometimes a lifetime. You see, you, you, you're, you're not growing together, so you're growing apart as Christian and non-Christian. Now, some of you have come to the Lord after the fact that you were married, so God tells you to pray for your mate and be an example to your mate, and let's see what God does. You're not to leave your mate. But if you're a Christian and you're dating somebody, you're going to get married and they're a non-believer, you're sinning against the Lord and you're going to add to a lot of hurt to your life. God will not honor it. And when the kids come, where are they going to be? Heathens or Christians? Are they going to see the union of mom and dad, the tenderness, the love, the compassion, the prayer? No, they're not. You've got a divided home. You see what I'm talking about? Young ladies... Think well who you're going to marry. They will affect your life for the rest of your life. Make sure they're godly. 
in business, business relationships, unequally yoked. Your partner wants to take money under the counter, doesn't want to pay income tax, wants to cut corners. What are you going to do? You don't have to be joined to them. You have two different standards. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about living by a higher standard. And you can request a copy of today's hard-hitting study from Deuteronomy called Instruments of Judgment. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And please share this study with your friends and loved ones. Now, the title to ask for once again is Instruments of Judgment, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Is it true that man is basically good? Many people think so. Find out for yourself when you join Pastor Xavier Reese as he brings us more simple truths from the Word of God. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 